you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. I'm going to sort of give you a little bit of an, I'm going to call it an intro uh, into the book of Acts or maybe a prelude into the book of Acts, although I'm not going to deal a lot with the book of Acts in it in of itself tonight as far as taking um, text out of the book of Acts. I will refer to it, but we're going to give you an overview of some of the things we're going to learn, some of the things we're going to find, some of the things we're going to dig out, and some of the things we're going to be looking at. We're going to do it from this perspective because I'm, I'm trying to make a transition um, from what, what our church, what we as a church are trying to to become what we long to become, and uh, I think we understand uh, it is no secret that we want to be a book of Acts church. We want to be a book of Acts church. Now, why do we want to be a book of Acts church? Because of this is where the church was born, in the book of Acts. This is how God designed it. This is where the church started, and so we want to be a book of Acts church. And, of course, a Book of Acts church was uh, fully an apostolic church. And I've been throwing that term around a whole lot lately, an apostolic church. And so we're going to talk a little bit tonight about what it means to be apostolic. Now, Spencer found humor in it. I thought he had been looking on my notes. Um, he, last Thursday, began in Lebanon with um, their midweek and um, he did some online things. Some of you may have seen the video that he posted this week. And he actually borrowed from my title, which happened to be on my, uh, in my lesson plan uh, for several weeks now, um, what it means to be apostolic. And so this is where we're starting tonight. So I like how God's just kind of joining things together. And so we're going to start tonight by talking about our church. We're going to start talking about uh, a little bit about where we came from, how we got here, and where we're going to. And in doing so, uh, hopefully, we will see uh, various signposts, uh, various banners that are reminding us uh, that as we read the book of Acts, we need to be looking in the mirror. Right? We need to be looking in the mirror as we read through the book of Acts if we want to become an apostolic church, if we want to become a book of Acts church. So we have to read through the book of Acts 
and we have to study it, observing ourselves in a mirror, the mirror of God's Word, saying, is this what we are? Now, now let me make it more personal, because I don't want to get so caught up tonight in talking about what we are, that we fail to talk about what I am. And I'm not referring to the preacher. I'm referring to the person. All of us looking at ourselves and saying, am I? Because the church will never be any different than what we are. For we are the church. And so therefore, in order to change a dynamic of any group, including a church, there must be the change of individuals. And so therefore, we have to begin by changing ourselves. When we see the Word of God calling us to change, we have to make those changes and become what God is calling us to be. So the book of Ephesians is actually what I'm going to read leading in tonight. I'm just going to refer to this a couple of times, but I want to use this getting in tonight so we kind of more clearly understand the work of ministry you cannot separate the church and the work of ministry, for they are one and the same. They, they are the purpose of the church is a gathering of the body uh, for the purpose of uh, the operation of ministry. And when I say the operation of ministry, uh, more clearly defined as the operation of apostolic ministry. And so we're going to learn a little bit about what some of these definitions mean and what, what, what we're going to be looking for as we get through the book of Acts. And I've got a ways to go. I don't want to bore you, uh, but I want to take, I want to take uh, an, an allotment of time here to be able to get, um, to, to get my point across tonight. So Ephesians, the fourth chapter, uh, verse number seven. But unto every one of us is given in grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts. Everybody say gifts. Gave gifts unto men. These gifts that he gave is what we're going to be talking about a little bit. So verse number 9, now he that ascended, what is it but he that also descended first into the lower part of the earth. Now this is the ascension. You understand Jesus after he was crucified, he goes into the lower parts of the earth. He preached to, the, to those, came out from conquering death, hell, and the grave. So he preached um, in all of those places before he ascended. He was seen among men, and then he ascended into glory. And so uh, before he ascended into glory, he gave gifts unto men. And now verse 9 is declaring that he that ascended was he that had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens that he might feel all things. Verse 11, this is talking about the gifts. Everybody say the gifts. The gifts, plural, that he gave. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Here's the purpose, all right? This is why he gave gifts. He gave these gifts, all right? What gifts did he give? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And he gave these gifts for the perfecting of the saints. Everybody say the perfecting of the saints. 
There's a purpose for it. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry. Everybody say the work of ministry. And the third reason is for the edifying. That word means the lift up or the lifting up, the, the upholding of the body of Christ. So there's three, three reasons why he gave these five things we refer to as the five-fold ministry. And so um, some argue that pastors and teachers are one and the same, and I, I'm not going to get into all that tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to take a very traditional apostolic view tonight and refer to it as the five-fold ministry because I, I really believe that is indeed what it, what it truly is. And so it's for the perfecting the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, before we get in and begin to talk about what we are, let's first begin to talk about the fact that uh, there are a lot of churches in the world today. There are a lot of churches in the world. And, and many of those churches claim, uh, all claim truth. Everybody says they have, you know, they all think they have the, cor- the corner on the market of truth. And they all feel perhaps that they, they have it right and their way is the right way. And so uh, what I'm going to, to say to that tonight is that um, the Bible way is the right way. And if it's not in line with the Bible, then it's not right at all. So the only way that it can be right is to be in alignment with the Word of God. And so, therefore, everything that we do must be looked at in light of the Word of God. And so our teaching and our preaching must not be by enticing words of man's wisdom. It must not be great philosophy, great ideas, great insight, uh, great wisdom even. It needs to be what the Word of God teaches. And so we are challenged to rightly divide the Word of God, to see it in its entirety, in its fullness, and divide it and segregate the Word of God into its parts and pieces properly. So there's a lot of churches. There's a lot of new churches being built. There's a lot of churches that are closing. Churches, church today seems to be very revolving. There are large churches, small churches, in-between-sized churches. None of those things really matter. If you look around our city, there's about 50 churches in our city, about 90 in our county, and uh, churches that preach and teach a little bit of everything. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a church in Indianapolis that I heard about some time back, and uh, it was uh, it was called, no, this is no joke, it was called the Church of Cannabis. And its whole philosophy was built around smoking weed. Not sure it's going to get you saved. All right, so uh, the, these this, not everything that calls itself a church and has a tax ID number is of God. All right, let's just get that straight. I'm not concerned with how we fit in the social society of life. What we're worried about, what we're concerned with is that we are obedient to the Word of God. We are biblical according to the Word of God, and we teach and preach the Word of God. And so we're not comparing ourselves with others. We're not looking at others. We're concerned about ourselves. All right, we want to look. We, we don't want to look in the mirror of 50 churches that are around us and say, whoo, look, we look pretty good, don't we? It always amazes me how, you know, we always want to get around somebody that, you know, doesn't look quite as good as we look to make ourselves look better, you know. That's not what it's about. It's about looking at ourselves in the mirror of the Word of God. So we want to see ourselves in that way. Now, we reached a stage in church history, in apostolic church history, um, 
I'm going to talk a little bit now as I'm shifting gears. I, I don't want to lose anyone, but I have to. So I, I take a little time to qualify some things because maybe some won't understand what I'm saying just by throwing uh, some of our churchy terms out. So I'm going to try to slow down enough. And if I confuse you, write it down. Take a note and uh, ask me about it. I'll try to qualify it, uh, give you more reason if you need more. But um, we've reached a, cha- a stage in apostolic church history, uh, the oneness movement in particularly, uh, which uh, we are because the Bible is. Uh, the Bible is believes in one God. Even Satan, even the devil believe in one God. And so we're, we're a one God church, uh, believe in one God. And um, in, in, in the oneness movement, in the oneness Jesus name apostolic movement, uh, as a whole, we've reached a point in church history where that missionaries have grown churches, uh, have gone and built churches in foreign countries, and these churches have gotten so, uh, they have grown to a point to where these churches are now actually sending out missionaries to other parts of the world. I think that's pretty incredible. And so the reason that is so important is because it's part of Bible history. And so the church truly is, is not an infancy stage. The church is moving forward and it is moving beyond. Uh, it is now beginning to truly fulfill uh, the, the, the Bible prophecy that this gospel will be preached to every creature. And so in these churches, in these churches um, uh, that, that, are, that are declaring the gospel around the world. We must constantly come back to the point of looking at ourselves in light of the Word of God. Regardless, if you've been serving God two days or, or 200 years, we still have to come back and look at ourselves in light of the Word of God because we are a church that believes in revelation. We believe in the revelation of the Word of God. We believe in the revelation of Scripture. But if we're not careful, we can easily be swayed off into false doctrine by some new revelation. So we we have to be careful. Now, when we begin to look at churches and beliefs, let let me start by, there there are six uh, uh, dominating religions. There are six basic dominating religions in the world. Islam. Judaism, uh, the Buddhist, Hinduism, and Jainism, and Christianity. Now, and oh, I forgot football. Um, another, another whole religion. <laughs> um, but there's six dominating uh, um, religions. Now, there's all sorts of branches and branches out of that. Now, I'm particularly going to talk about Christianity and Christianity. I'm going to break Christianity down in three main segments, which is uh, Catholicism, uh, Orthodox, and Protestant. Now, some of these are a little difficult to, to even pull apart, but I'm going to try to explain what I'm saying. Now, I'm going to try to explain to you a little bit about the, the Protestant Reformation. I want you to use that word with me and say it with me so you're familiar with it, Reformation. All right, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what that is. Now, for, for those of you that's been through Bible college and been in the church a long time, you're like, man, pastor's really getting basic tonight. That's okay, all right? So we, we got some younger guys and, and, and gals here tonight, all right? And so we're going to take our time and walk through this so everybody can understand. So everybody say Reformation. 
Reformation, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Protestant Reformation because that is from, uh, that is from which um, the modern day movement that we are associated with, now watch my words carefully here, that we are associated with, this was the movement uh, that came out of the denominational churches. So if we were to take and break this apart, and if I was a, uh, perhaps I should have taken the time to uh, create some computer charts and graphs to be able to show you um, where some of the branches of churches uh, came from. Uh, I don't want to confuse you with words only. Um, I believe, I believe that there has always remained a true church that has preached and taught the apostolic doctrine. I believe there's always been. Now, however small it may have been, uh, the church endured a great deal of, pros uh, of prosecution, persecution, a great deal of persecution. And under this great persecution, uh, the church was persecuted into secrecy in many parts of the world. And you know, I know this is very debatable, and so I don't want to spend all of my time trying to explain why that I believe uh, what I believe here, because some... And if you go, you're going to read a lot of different views that the, the early apostolic church from the book of Acts became extinct. Now, I, don't, I believe there has always been a witness because God has always had a witness. And so I believe that however and wherever there was always an apostolic witness. Now, the Reformation began with a desire from sincere people in the denominational world that wanted to come out and they believed that there was more. They would read their Bible and see things in the scripture that they were not living and experiencing in their life. They would preach and not see and not experience what they would read about in the book of Acts. And so with a desire for more, they began to pray for more. They began to seek God for more. They wanted to know more about God. Now, so this reformation or this coming out, this drawing out, and this, this change or new formation or a reformation, if you may, came out of denominationalism with a, with a revelation. And that are, are, let me use another term to help you more clearly understand, with a better understanding that man was saved by grace through faith. And so out of Catholicism came some new Ideas that man did not have to go to another man, a priest, and have that priest talk to God. But they read in Hebrews where they could go boldly before the throne of grace, that they could find grace to help in time of need. So from this desire through prayer, 
there was revelation and more clear understanding. And, and although there had been significant earlier attempts to reform the Catholic Church before, uh, Martin Luther is widely acknowledged to, to have started the Reformation. I'm not sure he was the first attempt to, uh, to reform, but he was the one that was attributed because he was the one that came with the 95 Thesis nails it to the door of the church, and uh, from there came what we know as the Reformation or the Reformation, the coming out with new revelation out of the church that man was saved by grace through faith. And from this Reformation, more revelation and, and greater understanding followed. Now, I'm going to skip a lot of long church history and you have to read a lot of books to be able to get to be able to get all of it and get the clarity of it. But I'm going to pick up in the Azusa Street Revival in 1906 in the city of Los Angeles, California, when the Holy Ghost was poured out and began to be poured out in the masses. Where in this revival people were coming from all different areas and different walks of life and was hearing a message of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and they were experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Pause right there, just put that on hold. Let me talk to you for a minute about individuals and I'm going to link up with something that I talked to you about the other day. Let me talk a little bit about people who want to claim that it doesn't matter where you go to church. Or it doesn't matter if you go to church at all. Let's look at some of the, some of the history here that begins even with the Azusa Street Revival where there was the coming together and people came from all over the place because it seemed to be that there the Holy Ghost was being poured out. No one could argue. Well, why couldn't they have received the Holy Ghost where they were? They could have, but they didn't know how. There was no faith where they were. They, they did not have the, the ability. So what they were doing was they was leaning the odds in their favor, but making a trip, a trip to Los Angeles, California, and going to a revival service on Azusa Street and hearing preaching that built their faith and be around other people that were testifying of what God has done. Now, I wish I had time to just exhaust all of this tonight. There is power in your testimony. If you're struggling with something tonight and you need to overcome it, can I tell you there's two ways to overcome it. One, you overcome it by the blood of the Lamb. But do not decrease the word of your testimony. Because the scripture said we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so therefore, there's people who were coming from all walks of life that were being delivered, set free, healed, and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because when they got together, there was an environment of faith. I don't ever want to lose the environment of faith that we have at Christian Life Church. 
While I'm here teaching tonight and talking to you tonight and reasoning with your mind tonight, and, and tonight we're talking, we're, 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 we're thinking tonight, we're, we're looking logically at things and understanding some things. I, I know, I know this group that is here, that if somebody has a need tonight, we can stop teaching and begin to go into prayer and miracles could happen right here tonight because you're a people of faith. So when somebody needs a miracle, somebody needs a healing, somebody needs salvation, it can happen. Sure, it can happen anywhere. But we are slanting our odds when we get out of our recliner and turn off the TV and get dressed and go to church. When people say, well, I'll tell you what, Pastor, y'all do the praying there at church. I'm going to stay back, drink my sweet tea, watch me some TV, and y'all pray that I get healed tonight. Now, if you're contagious, stay home. Call for the elders of the church to come. Let them pray. But if you're just afflicted, you need to get up and come. And you need to pray yourself. All right, don't let me get too sidetracked here. So in 1906 in Los Angeles, California, the Holy Ghost is poured out in the masses. People came from all over the country, received the Holy Ghost. And they took this new testimony of this experience back to different parts of the country. And they would go and talk about it. And other people began to receive the Holy Ghost. So it began to spread. This is how the modern day revival began to be spread. And so it impacted cities and revival broke out all over the country. Now, in April of 1913, now we jump from 1906 to 1913. In April of 1913, in a, in a Pentecostal holiness meeting that was held again in the state of California because there was a great revival there. There was a lot of people. So conferences, this sort of thing was held in that part of the country. It was claimed to be between 1,500 and 2,000, which was a massive church crowd in those days. About 1,500 to 2,000 people, Pentecostals, that had received the book of Acts experience. Mainly pastors, it was a conference of sorts, that was there attending the meeting. And there was hundreds of, of people there that would come in, hundreds more that would come in on Sundays and come in after work. And there, there was a preacher by the name of Robert E. McAllister. And he was a Canadian minister. And there in April of 1913, at this conference, he was the first known preacher in modern times. Now notice what I'm saying. In modern times to stand and preach that although the church up to that point had followed the pattern of the Catholic Church, even through the Reformation, and they believed in baptism by immersion now, but they still are calling the titles of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But here at this camp meeting, Robert E. McAllister stood before preachers and submitted to them the, for the very first time that anyone ever recorded that the name of Jesus was the only formula for baptism that he could find that anybody ever baptized in in the Bible. 
It shook this congregation of ministers. Word began to spread. So this is the first time in in the modern days that this message was preached publicly from a conference platform. And by January of 1915, word of this message is spread all across the continent. And a very renowned bishop by the name of G.T. Haywood. You've heard his name mentioned because even in Indianapolis there's a street called G.T. Haywood Boulevard, I believe it is. G.T. Haywood was a bishop that pastored Christ's temple in Indianapolis. He was baptized in Fall Creek and he followed by preaching Jesus' name baptism to his whole congregation and baptized his whole entire congregation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. From there, this message began to spread all across Indiana. Now, if you stop by my office, you'll see. If not, I'll be glad to share it with you. I have a picture that our late bishop, my wife's grandfather, had. He had it folded and in the bottom of a of a filing cabinet, and two or three years before his passing, he was going through cleaning out things, giving things away, and um, he pulled out this picture that was broken in three parts, and it was an old panoramic style uh, picture, and he pulled it out, and he said, Annette, I, I don't know if Philip would be interested in this, but this is an old picture, and, and he started explaining to her and telling her the history, and uh, of course, she called me, and I came out. And uh, he explained to me the history in this picture. Now, my wife took and had that picture framed uh, and put it into a nice frame. It's hanging on my wall, and uh, you'll see it's still broken into three parts. It's been slid together. That's not a copy. That's the real picture that was taken in that day. And that picture is taken in 1926. And now, G.T. Haywood was baptized in Jesus' name in 1915. In 1926, you will see in that picture, you will see uh, a tent in the background, and you will see G.T. Haywood himself is there, and he is surrounded even by uh, folks that were not only African American, but also Caucasian. And you will see in that picture that there is a mix of African-American and Caucasians that are all mixed together. You'll see some that were sitting next to Bishop Haywood that um, uh, appeared to be uh, Caucasian. You will see the sprinkle all through uh, of blacks and whites all through this picture, which was unbelievable for that time, for that day and age. Now, From there, according to the history lesson that Brother Price gave me, that in that picture are some family members, distant relatives, distant relatives, uh, and some direct relatives before his day that were in that picture that were part of the camp meeting whom were baptized by G.T. Haywood, there in those revi- in those early revivals, from there, G. 
G.T. Haywood began to send out evangelists. And they would come, and the first place they came was north. They came to Lebanon, and they began to hold tent meetings in Lebanon. And people from Frankfurt were driving, who had been driving to Indianapolis, are now gathering, and they're going by, by streetcar, I understand. Uh, I can't wait for my wife to share, you a little, uh, share with you a little bit of, story, of that story. She's been doing some history about some of the, the streetcar and the early navigation um, in, in the connection to the church. Uh, but they went by streetcar, and they would go, and they would stop in to Lebanon, and they would get there to go to these tent meetings, these tent revivals. And uh, the church did not, it seemed that most of the people who uh, were being converted were not from Lebanon, but rather from Frankfurt. And so they came to Frankfurt. And here in this city was one of the first established apostolic churches. Right here in this city. One of the first established apostolic churches in the state of Indiana. And so... uh, so that's just a quick history lesson that runs you through. I have a picture in my office that I love to share pieces of this story. And so this, this region, this area, has some very deep apostolic roots. Now, I've been throwing this term around, so in order for us to understand what it means to be apostolic first, I guess we need to understand a little more about the word apostolic and the origin of the word uh, apostolic. Apostolic, of course, the word comes from the root word apostle uh, or apostle-like. According to New Unger's Bible Dictionary, it comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means to be appointed as a delegate. In English, it means one sent with a special mission or a special commission. And to be apostolic means to be apostle-like. I want you to say that with me, apostle-like. So therefore, the only way we know that if we are apostle-like, we got to look at ourselves in the mirror. Okay? So you got to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, Am I, do I look like the apostles? Do I, does my church look like the apostolic church, the apostles' church? And so to be apostolic means to be apostle-like or following the examples of the apostles. So in our day, it means to follow the teachings of the apostles. So when I say we are an apostolic church, we are following the pattern of the apostles in the Word of God. So the early church was an apostolic church. Because the apostles were the ones that did the writing and the preaching and the teaching. And the majority of this book that we have here is giving direction to churches. The book of Acts is the birth of the church. And then we move from the book of Acts into uh, Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. And it goes all the way through all of the letters or the epistles. Those letters were written by the apostles to the newly formed churches. And so they dealt with issues, they dealt with problems, and so many of those issues and problems, situations and questions are things that we still deal with today in the modern church. So it hasn't changed, and yet we can go and find the answers 
that the apostles wrote to the early church. And so therefore, when we study the Word of God, we've got to rightly divide the Word. So therefore, we want to find out what did the apostles say? How did the apostles say that we want to do this? This makes us an apostolic church. So the, or, the original qualification of an apostle, as stated by, by, by Peter in Acts chapter 1, we'll get into this a little later, was that he should have personally been acquainted with our Lord's ministry. This is what it means to, to be an apostle. You had to be personally acquainted with the Lord's ministry. From his baptism by John unto his ascension when he ascended into heaven, which is the text that I read to you tonight as he ascends. All right, so... Between his baptism and that point, they had to personally be acquainted. So an apostle had to personally witness Jesus's, or Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So by this close personal, personal relationship with him, they were peculiarly uh, fitted to give testimony of the facts of what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And so therefore, because they had witnessed him in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, they now have the ability to preach the message about redemption. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul claimed to be an apostle, and his claim to be an apostle was questioned by many others. Now we believe that the Apostle Paul, as defined in Scripture as the Apostle, he was the Apostle to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul, claim, his claim to be an Apostle was just as legitimate as others. Now I want to qualify that. Although he was, he, his ministry was after, he was not one of the original Apostles. He based his Apostleship on, number one, a direct call from the Lord who appeared to him on the Damascus Road. And then the Lord began to bless his ministry as he was winning converts and establishing churches. But what many people did not understand about this claim that he had to be a personal witness, to get this, don't miss this. The Apostle Paul, see others were claiming, well you didn't witness it personally, his death, burial, and resurrection, you didn't see it with your own eyes. Yet, he identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ by his, his experience of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So, what really made him an apostle was that he had identified with his death through repentance, the dying out to sin. He had identified with his burial by water baptism in the name of Jesus. He had identified with his ascension into heaven by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so therefore, he was an apostle out of season. Now, you and I become apostolic. Not by just believing, but by experiencing his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And the way you experience his death, burial, and resurrection is we identify with him. How? By repentance from our sin. By water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So therefore now, that alone is the apostolic experience. But now we have to follow the apostles' doctrine in all teaching. And so therefore, that's where we get how we live and the way we should, the way we should conduct ourselves and the way that we should talk and walk. And so we are apostolic because we believe, experience, and obey the apostles' instructions to the early church. Whew, that, was a long, that was a long way to get to that line. Now over the next few weeks, we're going to be digging into the book of Acts, which is the foundational history book of the birth of the New Testament church. Now, there are four things I want to point out to you tonight. And if you're taking note, these four things are, are key. I could have just talked about these four things tonight and left a lot of other things out, but I want to be very clear as we get into the book of Acts that we have already settled some of these issues, and so they're a given when we get into the book of Acts. You already know these things, and so you're looking for them. Now, there are four things that I want you to watch for as we study the book of Acts. These are, these are key markers in the early church that we want to have in the modern day church. Now these are four markers, and I could have added a fifth marker in here, and uh, and, and and kind of wish I would have. And, and I'll, I'll I'll just mention maybe what I think that is, and I don't have the exact word I want to use. So first of all, the early church was apostolic in doctrine. We too must be apostolic in doctrine. That means that our doctrine is taken from the apostles. Number two. We must be apostolic in demonstration. That's the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. The scripture teaches, and we're going to study this through the book of Acts, we are empowered. There should be a demonstration. If all we have is just doctrine, 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 then we are, we are apostolic in doctrine. But we're missing the full apostolic experience. Because the apostolic church that I read in the book of Acts was not only apostolic in doctrine, they also were apostolic in demonstration. Therefore, they laid hands on the sick and they recovered. The dead was raised. The lame was healed. Massive revivals. They were apostolic in doctrine and in demonstration. That demonstration, of course, was by the power of the Holy Ghost. Number three. It's the third thing I want you to look for. A lot of churches get the doctrine right. We lose a lot of churches when it comes to apostolic demonstration. Now the next line is apostolic in discipline. These are the disciplines that are required to remain an apostolic church. In order to see apostolic demonstration and in order to be able to truly live the apostolic doctrine, we have to align ourselves with apostolic disciplines. These disciplines, which we will find, are the disciplines of daily prayer, devotion, fasting, 
All of these things we're going to find in the book of Acts. These are disciplines that are required. If you leave those out, the book of Acts is full of them. There's all sorts of disciplines that we're going to see unveiled. And so as our church, our church has a long history of apostolic doctrine. Our church has a, is a church of great faith, and we have apostolic demonstration with signs following. I don't think I have to qualify that. We see miracles and things happen where people are healed. Where literally a dead lady laying on this floor right here was raised and brought back to life again. Where people with cancer were healed. That's apostolic demonstration. Now apostolic discipline. Woo, we can skimp on that because a lot of people don't know. Now can I talk to you? This is where the rubber meets the road. Because our disciplines is what we do in our daily life. Well, I can get up on Sunday and shout the victory and dance across the front of the church and everybody thinks everything's okay when you're lacking the discipline of a daily walk with God. And so therefore, we're going to see this all through the book of Acts where we are being called back to discipline, back to discipline, back to discipline. We're going to talk about demonstration, then we're going to get called back to discipline. Then we're going to get called into studying the doctrine, understanding the doctrine, now discipline, putting that doctrine to to work, and then you're going to see see the demonstration. Then number four, the fourth thing that we're going to see over and over again is apostolic indeed. They were doing the work of ministry. The scripture said that the church would do great exploits. So it's deed. It's what we are doing. So now is the great commission. This is where we have to take this doctrine that we've learned and this demonstration that we've experienced and these disciplines that we have adapted into our life. Now we have an obligation to carry out the great commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And so we're going to see this, this apostolic indeed that, that must be done. And, and the fifth one that I did not bring, and I, and, and I, you know, I, was on a, I was on a little bit of a D-kick there when I was going through doctrine, demonstration, discipline, deed. So I didn't take the time. But we must be looking for, the apostolic church is always looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always keep heaven in view. If we ever fail to keep heaven in view, we start living in the here and now. And so I'll, I'll figure that, I'll figure out what that fifth one is and give it to you a little later. I just kind of received that a little late tonight and I was thinking about that and I'm like, well, the fifth thing that the church really has to do is we really have to have the view of heaven. If not, all of our doing and all of our disciplines and all of our demonstration and all of our doctrines in vain, we start living for the here and now. And when we read the book of Acts, they were looking for his return. They were looking for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, they're looking. He could come any day. They're preaching about his come. They're expecting his return. When the church, if we're going to be that, that kind of church, if we're going to be a book of Acts church, we have got to begin to believe that every day he is coming. He's coming. It may not be today, but he's coming. He's coming. He's coming tomorrow. It may be tomorrow. It may not be tomorrow, but it's going to be that I'm, I'm being ready. I've got to be ready for his return. So we will discover the differences between these terms, how it relates to the church and our personal lives. So we are apostolic because we believe and teach the truth, the apostolic, the apostles' doctrine, and because we have identified with his death, burial, 
and resurrection. Now, many scholars believe that apostolic ministry died with the apostles. And this is where, this is what separates us from most denominational churches. Most denominational churches believe that everything, matter of fact, somebody, I got to received a phone call today and they were telling me about someone and they said they think, they think you guys are kooky. That was the word used. They think you guys are kooky. I said, really? What's kooky mean? I know what kooky means. <laughs> you think you guys are kooky because you spiritualize things and you, and you're always spiritualizing. And when somebody says something, the first thing you say is, let's pray about it. I'm sorry. Did I, did I offend you by praying about something? Did I offend you by, by being spiritually minded? I don't want to be so spiritually minded that I'm no earthly good, but at the same time, we, that, that's a great little line that people love, love for years to tag on to. The problem is, is that we're so earthly minded that we're no spiritually, we can't be, any, we can't be spiritually successful. Because our mind is on everything of the world and everything of the earth. And what does this mean to me here? And now we've got to be heavenly minded. Our mind ought to always have heaven in view. I'd rather make a decision on the fact that I'm expecting Jesus Christ to come. And we've got to win as many people as we can. And we've got to be ready for his appearance. For his appearing. And so the apostles were given special commission to reach the lost and to found churches. And that's what they did. And we're going to see this in the book of Acts where they went out and they went out to start and to get churches started to find converts and teach Bible studies and, and, and preach to them and baptize them. And, and they were saved and they gathered together. And uh, now a lot of people, of course, like to come here and say, well, show me in the New Testament. They were going house to house. They were not gathering in churches. No. Neither does any church that's getting started unless they have some millionaire that forks over money. We just, you know, I see Brother David and Sister Patricia here tonight. They, they, they had church in their house until God blessed them with a building. In Lebanon, we had church in a hotel. Got kicked out too, too loud. <laughs> then we went to a karate dojo and had church among the sweat. Strange odors and all sorts of things we dealt with in there. Before God gave us a building. We baptized people in swimming pools. Now we have a beautiful baptistry. Brother David came up Monday night, Tuesday night, whatever night it was, and showed me a picture. Remember the horse trough that we used out at the park? We sent it over to Lebanon so they could baptize somebody. And Brother David came out, and Brother David uh, Townsend came out, and they, they, ran a, they ran water to it, and they got a pump hooked up to it to get the water out. And I said, that's wonderful. That's a step. When I was a kid, we didn't have a baptistry in our church. My dad, we walked down this old gravel road down to Granny Ferguson's pond. Went in the mud about knee deep. Went in baptized in Granny Ferguson's pond. I was baptized in February. We went over to a church. It was an outdoor, outdoor baptistry. 
in St. Augustine, Texas. I was seven years old. We went over there to their church so that we could, so I could be baptized. I was baptized under a great big giant pine tree. They didn't move that baptistry. I was actually, I don't know if my boys remember it, but I used to drive them by and show them. They see that pine tree right there? See that? When Gentry was little, the baptistry was still there. So see that baptistry? That's where I was baptized. To drive right up Highway 96 going to my parents. I slow down every time I go through. I still, still do. They've cut the tree down now. We go by right there, right there. Right out in front of that, there was, used to be a big old pine tree right there with a baptistry. Outside is where I was baptized. It means something to me. Do you have to have a church? you have to have a building? No. But as the congregation grows and as the church grows, you got to have a place to be able to gather. It's, just, it's the center of where we do, where we get prepared and equipped to go out. It's a gathering place. It's not about a building, not about fancy buildings and all the above. Pioneer, as pioneers in the work of making converts and planting churches, the apostles were exposed to all sorts of things, many Many dangers that they were exposed to. When persecution erupted, the apostles were the primary targets. Most of them died horrible deaths, crucified upside down, beheaded and such like. Yet Jesus Christ gave them authority over unclean spirits. Here's what some things you're going to find when we get in the book of Acts. Where when they dealt with it, see we want to mysticize it and read it and think, how it must have been 2,000 years ago. No, right now, we deal with unclean spirits. And if we are apostolic, God gave us dominion and power over those. We went, Brother Tapia, remember when we went to Bolivia, we went through the, Brother Collins took us through the witch's market. Woo! Hmm. Bad stuff in there. We went by those witches, they had... They were there shaking stuff at us and speaking all kind of voodoo on us. We just walked right on through there. Nobody got harmed. You know what? Because God's give us dominion over those spirits. I'm not going to even entertain it. Well, we walked through. We told all the students, don't you go in here with fear. We're just going to walk right through here in the name of Jesus. We got the victory. And why he had to walk us through, it was a good experience, I suppose. I'm going to shun the very appearance of evil if I ever go back to Bolivia. God gave us power over unclean spirits. He gave us healing over sickness and disease. And he sent them out in pairs to preach. There's going to be some things here I'm going to talk to you about when we get to the book of Acts. Because we've got to be careful when we start doing things alone. God wants to... He, he sent the early church out in pairs. They went out in pairs. He, he linked them together, and they went out. I wonder why in the Scripture that he didn't say, if one makes up his mind and prays, there I'm going to be in the midst. He says, if two or three agree. <laughs> if two or three gather in my name. See, see this? And I'm not telling you you can't have prayer meeting at home alone. That's not what I'm telling you. But the the plan for the early apostolic church was for there to be a gathering, a coming together, an agreement. And so this is all through 
the book of Acts. Paul said, while the apostolic ministry and apostolic faith is laid upon men, it is not of men, but it is of Christ himself. So we have to understand that the power of God that we have over unclean spirits is not something that we have learned in the spirit. Not because we've become educated. Not because we have understood it. It, is, it comes by faith and it, comes, it is a gift given by the Holy Ghost. It is power given from the Lord. So in our study, we're going to discover four things. Man, I've got to hurry. Wow, I'm out of time. I got, we got, there's four things that we're going, to, we're going to learn that will destroy apostolic anointing. Right? You're going to want to write these down. I know I'm running out of time here. I'll, I'll, I'll stop very shortly. Four things that will destroy apostolic anointing. One, tradition. Tradition was in existence before the early church. And then in the early church, they, they tried to bring it back in. All tradition is not bad, but some tradition and doctrines built around tradition is extremely unhealthy, and it will destroy apostolic anointing. So we have to be careful of tradition. So when somebody says, well, this is the way we've always done it, stop. Get out the mirror. Is this, is this the way they did it in the, in the early church? All right, number two, ritualism. Idolatry is full of rituals. And in the book of Acts, you're going to see where they dealt with idolatry and all through the early church, all the letters that these apostles wrote, they're dealing with idolatry so that people came out. And they have all these rituals, and they believed that the operation and working of the Spirit was because of the ritual. Now watch what I'm saying to you here. Symbolism is not evil. But ritualism borderlines on demonic. Be careful not to make rituals in the doctrine. And we're going to see this in Scripture. So sometimes we just get to going through these rituals and through these motions of this is what we do. While the mirror is going to show us, whoo, i got to be careful because I'm just going through these motions. I'm forming these rituals. Well, if it happened that way last Sunday, let's do it again. Be careful not to make it a ritual. Well, boy, I tell you what, when old sister so-and-so gets to dancing just right, when well, it's not ritualistic. You don't dance the power down. You don't sing the power down. God sends the power down. It's not a ritual that brings it. And here's one of the reasons now, I know I'm going over time, but one of the reasons we really have to fight that is because I do believe there are spirits and regions. And one of the spirits in this region is a very old spirit that is connected to Read the history of this, of this area and this region and find out about all the rituals that the early Native Americans practiced and participated in. There are spirits that are here that are connected to those things that we have to be very careful because we will succumb to rituals very, very easily because that spirit is loose in this region. We have to take dominion and power over it and authority over it. Number three, superstition. Superstition will destroy apostolic anointing. Be cautious, be careful of superstition. The Apostle Paul, and you were going to read about it, he, he said to the men in Athens, I perceive that you are too superstitious. If you're rolling devils out from under every rock, you better stop and pay attention. 
I believe that everything that happens in your life happens for a reason and a purpose, but don't over-spiritualize everything. Don't make mountains out of molehills. Am I okay? Be careful about being too superstitious. We, we want to be spiritual. The early church was incredibly spiritual. They were in tune. But we have to be careful not to get too superstitious to where everywhere we look there's a demon or there's an angel. And if it's not a demon or an angel, it must not be of God. Sometimes we get so superstitious that we miss what God is doing while we're looking for something that's more spectacular. It starts being a freak show instead of a God thing. Number four. Fourth thing that will destroy apostolic anointing is division. So we must never allow division to come among us. And so therefore there must always be room for people that don't think just like we do. They don't agree with everything we agree with. They don't see it exactly the way we do, but we make room for them. We worship with them. We welcome them. We're part of them. So there must never be division in the church. The church was born in unity. And the environment of unity was always in existence for every powerful apostolic move of God. The book of Acts begins with unity, and the anointing will work only in an environment of unity. That's why sometimes we are better off we are better off sometimes just to get together with a group of people and say, you know what, we've really got to have a move of God. If people have are full of doubt, don't bother to come. Let's just get together with some people with faith because there's power in that unity of faith. All right, I'm out of time. I'm out of time. I've got to stop here. I've got about three and a half pages left, but we'll pick it up uh, next time. So. I uh, hope I've helped you tonight. This is the intro. I'll, I'll have a little more intro before we get into the book of Acts and begin the former treaties have I made with thee, O Theophilus. All right, stand with me tonight. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. I, I hope that I have made some sense as I'm teaching. If you have questions, feel free to uh, write them down and uh, email them to me. I'll be glad to try to respond to them uh, as we are moving through. Uh, I want to be clear. I want to I teach in a method that uh, inspires your thought to see what God is wanting to say to the church in these last days. I'm glad for truth, aren't you? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together as we're dismissed. Father, thank you today for your goodness to us. Thank you for this wonderful group of people that call this place home. Lord, I'm grateful tonight for your glory and your power. Thank you for the spirit of God we felt in worship. Thank you for your word which has spoken to our hearts tonight. Now, God, I pray as we depart from this place that we depart not from this place.